I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations. Will Republicans retake the Senate in 2014? What will happen in the House? What's the latest in 2016 presidential politics? People who want to stay ahead of the curve in politics turn to our good friends at the Cook Political Report for answers. For more than 30 years, Charlie Cook and his team have nailed the nation's most important election outcomes and political trends. CBS News' Bob Schieffer calls the report, quote, the Bible of American politics. Nate Silver says few have, quote, a longer track record of success. If you make it your business to know politics, you need to subscribe to the Cook Political Report. Head over to cookpolitical.com slash political wire. That's cookpolitical.com slash political wire to sign up today. And now to our conversation. It's no shock, of course, that we live in polarized times. Even with no empirical evidence, everything seems to be more ideological and divided than it has in many of our lifetimes. So is that true? And if so, is there a way out? Well, we now have a major set of data and they don't look so great. The Pew Research Center for the People and the Press recently released the first of multiple reports on the political polarization in the American public. And sadly, the results may be more discouraging than we thought. From how polarization manifests itself in our personal lives to its effect on policymaking to the way it shows up even in our political participation, the numbers are telling. And now today, a second report covering political typology. This report looks beyond red versus blue divisions to gain a clearer understanding of the dynamic nature of the center of the American electorate and the internal divides in both the left and the right. It also comes with a quiz, so you can determine with truthfulness where you fit in. So how polarized are we? Is there room, a chance, for the so-called political compromise so many seek? What does the so-called center actually look like? Carol Doherty is the Director of Political Research at the Pew Research Center for the People and the Press, and he's here to tell us the answers. Carol, thanks for joining me. I, I hate to be a downer. That's, it's totally not my nature, but is this political divide, the, the polarization, as stark as I took your report to say it is? Well, the, there, is, there is a middle in, in American politics today, and it's, it's actually rather large. Uh, the, the difficulty is that the middle, the center of the electorate doesn't agree on a whole lot, and they don't, and depending on the issue, they may agree with one wing, the left wing or the right wing, but there's no cohesion there. There's no, there's no political consistency there, so, so it's an issue by issue thing, and of course, as you noted, the, the wings uh, of the electorate are are true red and true true blue and are getting a little bit bigger and are certainly getting uh, more dug in on the issues. Yeah, they they certainly seem to be. And and what you say about the middle and uh, kind of the the range of of areas and you really outline that in the uh, typography report um, is certainly true. So before we really dive in, um, give me the background. You know how how was the study conducted? I mean, it was a tremendous undertaking. You actually ran two surveys, I guess, that covered some ten thousand yeah. adults. Is that right? Ten thousand adults. Uh, actually, a, a wave of three. It's three surveys. Surveys, and we even supplemented it with some callbacks and also an online component. And, and so there's a lot of data here. Um, and the first report really was trying to assess what has changed over time. And what we discovered was, as you noted, that uh, 
there's more ideological consistency uh, on both the left and right. The share of people who hold ideologically consistent views has grown since the 1990s, and that that's grown especially on the left and right, and especially among the more politically engaged people. And the second point there was that uh, partisan hostility has also grown. Democrats are viewing uh, the Republican Party much more negatively than in the past, and vice versa. And so, uh, you know, we see this sort of pulling apart of America. And then in the t today's report, we tried to go a little bit uh, closer in terms of focusing on the middle groups. And boy, it's a difficult process because you, you, you can see a lot of signal, but sometimes not a lot of noise, because or more noise than signal, excuse me, because these groups are so diverse they're not that politically engaged and and you know they they're trying for the the parties trying to appeal to them have a difficult time because it's such a collection of different you know kind of views that collection of views and and I kind of actually want to ask you about the consistency portion but what you just said there at the end kind of mm -hmm. struck me you know we we talk and think so much about the customization of everything from you know the 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 way clothes are made to the way we you know get our media to you know anything we buy online everything is about we are we are absolutely in the age of customization and in thinking about all of these different sections that you identify, and you identify eight of them in the middle, and we'll, mm -hmm. we'll get into those, but it, it's almost like politics now and policymaking has to get customized, I'm exaggerating, but down, <laughs> to, the indiv down to the yeah. individual, and, and that right. just, that's not sustainable. I mean, how, how does that scale? It, it, it's, yeah. a, it's a real concern. It, it is. I think that's a very good point, and I think... So what you find in the middle is that both, you know, the middle groups of our typology. And you know, these. The, let me give you a little background on how this study was done. We took a we took a look at these ten thousand people, and we we did what's called a cluster analysis, which sort of collects them into groups on the basis of of uh, their responses to questions. And so you see these four groups in the middle, and they couldn't be more different from each other. Some of them are upscale, some of them are downscale, some of them are older, some of them are younger. And uh, about the only thing they do have in common is that they're not that politically active. They don't vote all that often, and they don't follow politics all that often. So, But this is the middle we're talking about, and this is the middle that I think a lot of people – uh, are trying to get enga more engaged to, to sort of act as a counterweight to these very polarized uh, wings in either party. Does the middle matter? I mean, if they're not engaged and, and you know, kind of going back to the first report, and it's hard, and, and this may be a little bit hard for our listeners who, you know, might, might not have spent yeah. time with, with each report because we're kind of flipping back and forth between sure. them. But, but, you know, part of the lesson from the first report was there's greater polarization, mm -hmm. and guess what? Those really polarized folks, they're the ones who are really involved. They're the ones right. who are driving the trains. And so, you know, the, the second report tried to, you know, address and give better color and description around um, the middle. But does the middle matter? It does matter uh, because it, this is the largest share of the public. This is the, you know, the, the, this, the middle comprises a much larger share of the public. This is where, where the average American is. The, the average American doesn't uh, 
express ideologically consistent views down the line, liberal, 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 conservative, conservative, conservative. The average American doesn't dislike intensely the opposing political party. Uh, the average American doesn't, but the average American also doesn't follow politics all that well, doesn't know that uh, Democrats hold the Senate and Republicans hold the House. And so that's that's where they are. So, I mean, in terms of when we look at the middle, yes, they do matter. And in presidential elections, we know they matter a great deal because the turnout is so high that it includes many more Americans in the middle middle of the electorate. In midterms, though, I think you're right. Uh, they'll probably many of them be on the sidelines. But but I guess so. So I'm left wondering if if the middle matters. And I, of course, I I believe and and know it it does. I you know wanted to mm-hmm. kind of get the understanding. But yeah. if if the if the polarized sides are really driving the agenda, mm-hmm. the message, the policy, what gets addressed next? I mean, it's it's so one. Isn't that a bit off putting? I mean, it's off putting to me. Isn't that a bit off? putting to people in the middle, number one. And number two, do the polarized factions know how to communicate to the people in the middle? Can they speak our language, or, or do, will they just miss the people in the middle because they don't know how to talk to them? Well, it's difficult. It, it is difficult. Uh, you wonder what would change this cycle of, of politics we're in. Uh, I mean, the, the, I think both parties do have a great deal of difficulty. I think when you, especially when you look at our typology survey, you know, the, the, the one group that strikes me is so important we called them young outsiders, and these are younger Republicans. Now, now, Republicans, as we all know, have faced a lot of demographic challenges. The, the base of the party is is pretty old and pretty white at a time the country's changing uh, and becoming younger and more diverse. But these young outsiders are younger Republicans. Uh, they're at least lean Republicans, and, and they agree with the Republican Party on the, the fundamental issues about government that Republicans are most interested in. That is, we have to worry about the debt, we have to worry about you know, the cost of government, and, and government itself is, is not always the answer. And, and the young outsiders are, are right there with the Republican Party. And so you think they might be the potential future of the Republican Party. But then you look at their views on homosexuality, and you look at their views on immigration, and you look at their views on marijuana, and you think these people are bad fits with the Republican Party. And on those issues, they may be a better fit with the Democratic Party because they favor the acceptance of homosexuality, they favor immigration reform, and they favor uh, marijuana legalization. So that's why some of these these groups in the middle that we identified are such hard fits for either party because their views don't line up consistently with either one. Actually, on some level, it, it felt to me like you might have just described the split and the, the battle that's going on within the Republican Party right now. I mean, that, that's almost a little bit of the Tea Party versus establishment split, some agreement on uh, debt and size of government and the economics, et cetera, but really some real splits on social issues. And, and you're seeing it in uh, Republican primaries, aren't you? you? You are, to a certain extent. You are seeing some of these divisions, but the Republicans certainly aren't alone, and Democrats are divided over some issues as well. And so you're facing this, you know, again, people always ask us, okay, well, if they disagree here, how can they be so polarized? Doesn't polarize, doesn't mean that the, that, the, that the wings agree on everything? Well, they do, by and large, agree, certainly much more than the people in the middle. 
Um, but they don't agree on everything, and then there are some divisions within the parties. Carol, I want to ask you more about both of the studies. I want to ask you about the uh, consistency that you talked about. I mean, on the mm-hmm. one hand, we, we hear the word consistency, and we're always driving for consistency, but it turns out that some of this ideological consistency may be uh, creating some of the, the polarization or maybe closely linked to the polarization that we see. Um, I want to ask you more about some of the groups that you uh, found in the typology report, also the quiz. I did take the online quiz. Um, I want to ask you about that, but first, I want to share with <laughs> our audience just a, a couple of words about our terrific sponsor, Brain HQ. Brain HQ is an online brain training system that works. It includes 26 exercises in six categories, memory, attention, brain speed, people skills, navigation, and intelligence. You can imagine how useful this could be in politics or whatever business or interest you have. Brain HQ and the people who built it are absolutely committed to science. With more than 70 scientific papers published in top journals, like the Journal of the American Medical Society, showing benefits to using the Brain HQ exercises. Brain HQ helps you think faster, focus better, and remember more for whatever is important to you. Brain HQ fits your busy life. It's designed so that you can do any length of training at any time on any computer or iPad. You can get a 10% discount on a Brain HQ subscription for finding out about it here. Just go to brainhq.com slash political wire. Again, it's brainhq.com slash political wire. Carol, let's talk about the consistency and the ideological consistency. What does it mean? I mean, on the one hand, I would think, you know, we're always striving for consistency. Yet, you know, part of what your report showed was that it, it actually means that the two sides might be moving further apart, doesn't it? Well, I mean, this is the conundrum that the political scientists have talked about for decades. In the 1950s, political scientists used to complain about the ideological inconsistency of Americans. In other words, their 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 beliefs weren't necessarily lined up with the with the party that they affiliated with. So, in some ways, Stanford professor Mars Fiorina calls it ideological sorting. In some ways, this what we see as greater ideological consistency is is a sorting process in the sense that people are finding their match uh, with their parties better than in the past. So, if you're liberal on homosexuality and and the role of government and immigration and the environment, you're a Democrat more than in the past. And if you're conservative on those issues, you're a Republican. So that sounds good. But the difficulty is that these ideologically consistent people, they're very interested in politics, and that's, that's terrific. But they, as, they, as they get more and more immersed in politics, they, they, they become more, I guess, resistant to co- political compromise. They want to see their side uh, win, in effect. I mean, we asked a question about where the proper agreement between Obama and congressional Republicans should be on major issues. In the middle of the electorate, people say, oh, that agreement should be right at 50-50. Both sides should get about half. But on either wing and among these ideologically consistent people, they say, no, our side should get more of what it wants. I mean, that's that's sort of the the, the flip side of that or the downside of that. And, and so there, there are less amenable to compromise. And since they have uh, uh, very loud political voices, again, which is a positive thing, they contact their lawmakers, they vote more often, they donate to campaign campaigns more often, they do, they do punch above their weight politically. 
but these are the people who are most resistant to compromise. And I even felt myself thinking about because it, it, it it's on some level went even beyond. I mean, your report goes even beyond, you know, that concern that you just raised that, you know, the, the, the ideologically consistent people, they want, they want everything on their side and mm-hmm. they, they want to have, but, but I'm reminded of that, that, that old line, you know, it's not enough for me to win, but I want uh, my enemy to fail. <laughs> and, 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 you know, you wrote one of the, you know, and this is the anger and, and with the right. split in views comes the anger and it's, it's pretty intense. I mean, one of the lines from the report, not only do greater numbers of those in both parties have negative views of the other side. Those negative views are increasingly intense. And today, many go so far as to say that the opposing party's policies threaten the nation's well-being, end quote. I mean, that's where things start to get a little bit scary, don't they, where you start disbelieving in the um, kind of well-meaningness of the other side. It's not enough for me to win, but I want the other guy really to lose. Well, it, it is. It does make compromise between these wings uh, very difficult because if you see the other side as a threat, that I mean, it sort of means that there's a real breach of trust or a lack of trust between these two sides. And and so, what caused that? Um, it's you know, it's difficult to say. People always want to say, well, don't you think it's this side or don't you think it's that side? It's really difficult to say, but it it has. I think what you're seeing is. Again, it gets to be a little bit of a chicken and the egg, but you're seeing a reflection of the years of partisanship in Congress and in Washington in the sense that I think when when the consistent liberals say, I want my side to, to get more of what it wants, it's because they feel like, in their view, Republicans haven't been dealing in good faith. And I think the conservatives say the same thing. They say, oh, no, well, Obama hasn't been dealing. I want my side to do, to do better. I need my side to do better. So... What you're seeing is this this gridlock and division on Capitol Hill, perhaps being reflected in the attitudes of the people, which of course creates a new cycle of mistrust. Yeah, so the, the, it, 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 it continues. Yeah, no, no doubt. This lack of trust in society happens to be a, a massive concern of just mine personally. I mean, we we see it, and there are all sorts of uh, polls. I mean, you saw it in in, in the Pew reports and the work that you've done. Um, I've seen it in in other polls, and we just know it. We know what's going on in society, and and I, you know, I, I happen to believe that that the the center of any society is the requirement of trust, the requirement that even if you aren't, you know, even if you're not going to get what you want, you have a trust that the other side is acting in good faith and will continue to act in good faith. And, and you know, we, we just see that going away. That makes me alarmed, which is one of the words that you used. I don't know if you were, you know, just trying to get right. my attention, but, but you sure did. Um, there's a section that's headlined, a deep-seated dislike bordering on a sense of alarm. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the alarm and, and kind of play this out for me. Where, where it is? What's the logical end to all of this? What, 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 you know, what, what starts to happen to our institutions, to our policies, if we can't, can't get our hands on this? Well, the alarm does come from this sense of threat. I mean, the, the share of Republicans who hold a negative view of the Democratic Party has doubled in the last 20 years and, and has doubled on the Democratic side toward the Republican Party. That's why we asked that threat question. I mean, we, we wanted to know, okay, you have a highly negative view. How, how negative is it? Do you think the other, other side essentially is a threat to the nation's well-being? Well, a lot of them do, uh, in fact. And so 
I think it is a sense of alarm that people have about the the, po- the possibility of the other side governing, and so um, you know they do have a very negative view. It, it's, I mean, in in part the other the other aspect here is that the political messaging, and that's something we'd like to study going forward. We'd like to study the information environment news environment to see what you know social media to see what impact this has had on sort of this 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 breach of trust and and also uh you know the sense of political messaging i mean we know that you know the it's easier to to motivate voters to get voters excited with negative messages often more more than positive messages and so has that had an impact in the sense of politicians demonizing the other side, and then, of course, uh, the, the engaged voters accepting those messages. The study was fascinating as well um, in terms of what it shows about us socially, too. Forget about race or religion um, now, and I'm, I'm only slightly exaggerating here, but now the most polarized among us don't want family members to marry outside of the political party. <laughs> well, it's relatively small. Now, I mean, it depends. The, the difficulty with those questions is we've never asked them before, so we, we, we don't have much of a frame of reference. Is, is it is it a lot when about 30% of consistent conservatives say they would not want a family member to to marry a Democrat, and, or, and about 23% of consistent liberals would would say the same about a Republican? It it, it does seem like a, a fairly large numbers. I mean, it's hard to put into perspective. Uh, but in fact, uh, many of those those groups were actually more upset over other things, such as uh, the fact of a gun owner among liberals and an atheist among conservatives. They were actually more uh, offended by that. And so it was an interesting study. I, I mean, we'd like to revisit it, see if these attitudes grow over time. I mean, the other thing in the study was that they, they, they choose different houses and to choose different communities if they could. And uh, and with different features and different amenities, and so what we're going to do is 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 map these people and see actually where where they do live and see if their preferences line up with uh, with what they've told us. So how has that changed over time? I mean, another old line, of course, is you never discuss politics or or religion, and there's a certain sense in that statement that you know politics is personal, religion is personal. They are they are statements about our inner beliefs, and when you start to to talk about them, you're you're you know obviously and maybe necessarily judgmental, and you're making judgments mm-hmm. then uh, about the other about the other person. So the the, the tying of some of the I, I'm trying to. Think think is this are these findings evidence that you know on some level we haven't changed since the 50s or before that you still shouldn't talk about politics or or religion or is it that we've returned to to an era of that where you know we kind of went through some years where no we did want to talk about things and you could believe x and i could believe y and that's okay because at the end of the day we're all americans and we're going to support the country is it it, has there been a consistency in this for the last you know 30 50 70 years or have we kind of come back to the beginning that's a good question, and I, I'm not sure we have the answer to it because you know so much of this research was new. I mean, you know, you do wonder uh, to the extent to which people. I, I think what's happening, at least in the present time, is that conservatives and liberals like talking about politics, but they like talking about politics to people who agree to agree with them by and large. Sixty-three percent of consistent conservatives told us that. 
most of their friends share their political views, and 49% of, of consistent liberals did, and just 25% of those with mixed ideological views say most of their friends share their political views. Now, that's not, they're not hearing a lot of dissenting voices. They're just not engaged enough in politics to know what their friends think about politics. A lot of them say, I don't know what my friends think. We don't talk about it that much. And so what you have are these what we call the ideological echo chambers on the, on the left and especially the right, where people are, are talking about politics, but they're not hearing a lot in the way of dissenting voices. Can we blame the media for this? Can, can we blame Fox? Can we blame MSNBC, CNN, you know, the, the rest? Is it their fault? Well, the causal relationship there is difficult to determine, and we're, we're going to take that study on over the summer and, pu and publish something either in August or probably in September uh, about how the media has or has not contributed to this, to this issue of political polarization. And, uh, but, I mean, I know from our prior research it's difficult to say, okay, well, Fox uh, has a pretty – ideological viewpoint it attracts a lot of conservatives does that mean people does it quote make people conservative probably not it means that conservatives who already had a conservative viewpoint gravitate towards that network and so and the same is true on the left for msnbc so you know it's difficult to but hearing the messages on both of those networks, does that turn you into a more intense partisan? And that would be something worth learning. Does it, does it make you more intense, perhaps less amenable to compromise or more, or more reluctant to see uh, uh, a compromise uh, in Washington? Well, good. I'm, I'm glad you're going to be working on that this summer because you, you really haven't been producing that much stuff lately. And uh, <laughs> you know, I was afraid you were going to just, you know, mail it in for the whole yeah, summer, too. Yeah, we're just too. going to the beach the whole summer. Yeah, okay. Well, good. You'll you'll at least be working. We won't see you at the beach. Let, let's, yeah. Let me ask you just very quickly um, about the quiz, the online quiz that's uh, right. kind of attached to, to the, the, the today's report, the Beyond Red versus Blue, mm -hmm. the political typology. Um, so I, I took the quiz. Should I believe it? Well, <laughs> it's the best we could do in terms of linking you up with, with what we see is your is your is your are you like minded political uh, group? Are you are you going to reveal what you are in the, in the in Yeah, the yeah. I guess no no reason not to. We're, yeah. You know, we, we talk about. It. So I came out. It, well, there's one way in which I know it's wrong because uh, it, it groups me. It then characterizes me as young, and and you know that's my. <laughs> so I'd like to see myself. So I fell into next generation left. We're finding a lot of those actually. Uh, uh, we're 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 getting feedback that there's a lot of next generation left. And, and that's not a reflection of our audience yet. I think maybe the initial round of quiz takers. So that's great. You know, it's uh, I, I you know I've taken the quiz so many times, but I haven't ever taken it in terms of my own personal views because we're nonpartisan here. I've only taken it to test if to see if I had a collection of views uh, to to fit myself in a certain group. Does it actually work? And I think it does work. And uh, so I encourage everybody to take it. It's at pewresearch.org. It's a, it's an interesting study, and and if you and if you feel like you're a bad fit for your group, 
you can also see where the other groups are. You can see how uh, how your responses would get you into other groups. So yeah, we, I thought we, we do get some negative feedback from people about saying, hey, I'm not that, you know? Yeah, I'm so, sure. Well, if you're not yeah. getting negative feedback, you know you're not doing it right. Exactly. Uh, exactly. You know, I, I, I mean, I liked the it, it It did make me think. I mean, I, I tried to spend a little bit of time on it. And, you know, you ask some very real questions about affirmative action. And, and I really mm-hmm. had to think about where do I feel and about, you know, programs for the poor and, and right. you know, the role of, uh, you know, corporations and, and you, know, do, you know, their amount of power and privacy questions. Right. And, right. you know, some of my answers were, you know, I, I had to really think about it and, and went against some of my, you know, maybe the historical beliefs I, I thought I had. But, you know, if nothing else, I think it, it provides a nice moment for one to just take a step back and think, okay, you know, where do I think we are as a society and what do I think are the right ways for us to go forward? Absolutely. I mean, they're very tough questions. And, and, and some of them, you know, they're forced choice questions. And the criticism we always get is, wait a minute, those are, those are too stark, those options. We, there's actually some ground in the middle. They, that's absolutely true. But in terms of, of trying to scale this out and trying to, to handle this data in a way that just doesn't become too complex or difficult, it's, we use the forced choice, say, well, which is, which is, is it more? Is it this or this? Even if it's not perfect. And so, uh, it, we encourage people to take the quiz because you're, as you're, as you, as you know, it is, it is thought provoking. Yeah. Yeah. It certainly is. So, so Carol, um, thinking about the two reports together, mm-hmm. um, I am, you know, running for Senate in midterms 2014. I am, uh, you know, God forbid, a presidential candidate in 2016. I've got two minutes with you, and I say, come on, man, tell me, what do I need to know about these? How can I use, what do I need to know about this information? How can I use this best? How should I use it in terms of running my campaign? What do you tell that person? Well, I mean, we're not in the business of advising candidates, but, uh, you know, I think there is a is a little bit of a message here that that given the and it, and it's a classic uh political story i think what you'll be seeing is given the polarized nature of politics that that and it may occur in both parties and and may well occur in both parties that in order to get the political nomination from each party given the way things are in politics today it's going to require a person to go left or go right pretty hard, I think, and and to get that nomination. And then the challenge will be to try to come back to the middle and appeal to these middle this middle of the electorate. And it's going to be difficult, I think, for, for both sides after after a polarized after a difficult and, and, and kind of contentious nominating process where people are pushed more to the to the to the extremes to come back then and appeal to the middle. Well, it's an incredibly important and insightful and thought-provoking series of reports. Um, it's not the end of them. More uh, are coming. And uh, if you're you know, planning to invite Carol to the beach this summer, he's got no time for that. He has <laughs> more, more work to do. Carol Doherty is the Director of Political Research at the Pew Research Center for the People and the Press. Um, the new uh, set of studies, political pol- polarization in the American public, in a new uh, portion today just out on uh, typology. Carol, thank you so much for uh, taking the time with me. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations.